And welcome to the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Anytime you want to get a hold of Savannah, no problem, 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We're going to be talking long-term disability today, take a bunch of emails. A busy show coming up, but first we get to the uh, the week that was. I think you got three spectacular cases to talk about, Savannah. That's right, John. Uh, generally, we try and uh, take a look at at least two cases that I've had during the week uh, and see what lessons we can learn from them when it comes to long-term disability and personal injury. Uh, but you know what? I had to squeeze a third one in. It's a lady that I met with earlier mm-hmm. this week, and it's just really, really important for people to hear about that. So let's start with the first one. The first case is a long-term disability case, and this is uh, a, a, a case with a lady who called me after the uh, show last week, and she's been on long-term disability for three years due to severe depression after a family tragedy. Essentially, her son committed suicide a few years back, so really, really tragic and terrible. Now, she recently got a letter from her insurance company saying that they've conducted surveillance and saw her walking to the park several times, shopping, working out with a personal trainer. And they advised her that based on the surveillance, uh, the footage that they uh, have, that they deem her fit to return to work and that they'll be cutting her off uh, disability uh, at the end of this month. And of course, she panicked Mm -hmm. and she just happened to catch the show. And so she decided to give me a call. So let me dispel some myths out there. First of all, yes, insurance companies do conduct surveillance. Uh, They don't do it in every case. They don't do it all the time. Surveillance is very expensive. I can tell you that when I was a defense lawyer and I ordered surveillance to be done, uh, we would give the surveillance people, the the private investigators, uh, a budget of, let's say, a thousand bucks a day for three or four consecutive days. Wow. Uh, But it's not one of those cases where somebody is going to be on your tail for weeks or months at a time. It's just too expensive for that. And oftentimes surveillance doesn't actually do anything. Even when they catch you doing something, it doesn't mean uh, that you are lying. I mean, it could be that you had a good day. It could be that uh, it, it's, it's sort of showing a picture, a frame out of uh, you know, your life. So what, what, what I told her here, I, I, said, I said, don't worry about it. You know, we spoke a little bit and she explained to me that Really going to the park and, and working out, these were things where actually she was told to do by her family doctor, by the uh, psychiatrist that she's seeing. You know, so really the idea is to get her back on track, to have her uh, you know, both physically and mentally capable and able to go back to work. Of course, the insurance company doesn't see it that way. And I understand where they're coming from, except that I think they jumped the gun. And so what's happening now is that uh, I'm going to become involved. I'm going to deal with the adjuster directly. I'm going to explain uh, what they've seen on the surveillance, explain uh, the genesis of that and why it is that they saw her do what she's doing, what she was doing, mm-hmm. and, and try and get them not to cut her off, to avoid that. And, of course, what happens if they don't listen to me? What happens if they do, in fact, take that step, pull the trigger and cut her off? Mm-hmm. They're going to get, uh, within days, a claim from me, and the claim is going to allege not only that they need to reinstate her, but it's going to ask for punitive damages against them. Because what 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 did they do here, really? They sent surveillance, and then without even asking her about it, in other words, explain yourself, they simply decided to cut, cut her, her off. off. Right, it was unilateral. They didn't ask for updated medical documentation. They haven't asked her for uh, uh, information from her psychiatrist post-surveillance. You know, perhaps communicate with the psychiatrist, the family doctor. Ask them, uh, you know, how, how do you explain this? They would have gotten their answers. But instead, what did they do? They jumped the gun. She's now in a panic situation. I can tell you that she's not sleeping at night. It's affecting her husband as well. 
it was not needed. It was unnecessary. But I told her, don't worry about it. We will deal with it. So, so uh, you know, no issues there. But for people out there, they need to understand uh, surveillance is legal. Uh, there are limitations. Uh, the private investigator is not allowed to contact you. Uh, and, and frankly, if, if you do feel you're being harassed, uh, you can certainly communicate that to your insurance company or better yet, just give us a call. We'll deal with them right. for you. Okay. So there's the first one. That was the first one. Okay. The second one was a slip and fall case. And this, again, is uh, one of those cases where uh, a family member looks out for another. So, so this gentleman called me because his son uh, uh, was, was listening to the show uh, and told him to call me. Uh, his father, who is 63 years old, fell on an uneven ledge, which was caused by a defect in a sidewalk. And that happened about uh, three, four weeks ago. And after listening to the show, he knew that he had 10 days to give notice to the city clerk. Remember that? Mm -hmm. Uh, We spoke about that, that if you're dealing with city sidewalks, you're slipping on ice or a defect, you have to make sure that if you're you're injured and you intend on starting something, on on asking for compensation for your injuries, uh, then you have to make sure the city clerk gets notified in writing within 10 days. Very important. Uh, There are very, very few limited exceptions, and you don't want to have to argue those exceptions. And this is a good thing that he gave that uh, notice in writing uh, because he actually broke his left knee and he's going to need surgery. So very, very important. He's going to be off work for at least a few months while he does rehab and recuperate. Uh, we're going to start a claim. We've communicated this to the city. They've put us in touch with their adjusters. Cool. Uh, and, 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 you know, very important as well is that because they were able to contact me very quickly, before the city went ahead and repaired that area, I told them to go and get photos, you bet. especially with a ruler, to show that the ledge was, as they've been telling me, about two inches high, which, you know, I it's can, over the I threshold, can tell you, right? it's, it's over the threshold, exactly. We've talked yeah. about that before. Anything over an inch and a half uh, in height generally will be considered to be negligence on behalf of the city. Not always, but generally. Anything less than three quarters of an inch, probably not. Anything in between. It's fair game. It really depends on the frequency of how, uh, how many people traffic the area, etc. So that was the, the, the second case. We'll take a, a short break into the third one of the week that was. This is the one that just came across your desk recently. In the meantime, you want to get a hold of Savan, simple 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. More of the Insurance and Injury Law Show coming right up. Talk Radio, AM 640. And back with more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show. And the number to get a hold of Savan is 416-216-5910. You want to drop us an email, we'll uh, get to a few of those. Over the course of the hour, it is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. The third case for the week that was, we normally do two, but the third one came across your desk. You figured it was worth uh, talking about this morning, so we'll do that. Yeah, that's very, very important. Uh, and, and this, again, it's a slip and fall case. So this is a lady that um, uh, I met with. Uh, who was, he, she didn't listen to the show actually, she doesn't know about the show, mm-hmm. uh, she knows now, no, yeah. uh, but, but she was told by someone else uh, who I deal with on a regular basis, you know, to call me and at least uh, uh, speak about uh, her situation. So uh, let me tell you this, uh, just a short while ago, in May of this year, uh, she was, I think it was St. Catharines, and she was filling up gas, she went inside uh, to pay inside yep. the gas station, it was raining outside, and she slipped and fell. There were no pylons. There was no warning signs. There was nothing there to, uh, you know, to warn her of the danger. On the there inside. There was no mop. On the inside, mm-hmm. exactly. Uh, as a result, she tore her left uh, shoulder, confirmed by ultrasound, by MRI, etc. Now, here's the interesting thing. There are companies out there, one of which, for example, is called Legal Shield, and I've heard about those. You pay some kind of a membership fee, and then you get some benefits from them. You are able to call them if you have a legal issue, and they can direct you, and you know, help you with certain things. I don't know much about them, except that I know some people pay into that, okay. which again, I'm not going to say that it's good or it's bad. I don't know much about them. What I do know is that she called them 
because she pays them monthly, and she asked them, should I be filing a report, an incident report? And they told her, no, not necessary. You have two years to start a claim if you need to. Now, here's the problem with this advice. By the way, she disregarded that advice and ended up calling uh, calling into the gas station and, in fact, making a report or telling mm-hmm. them, look, this is what happened. I just want to make sure it's on record. Uh, you know, when you fall somewhere, if no one knows about it, uh, perhaps you didn't go to the doctor until a few days later, there's going to be some question marks yeah. as to whether or not this even happened. Let's say you have no witnesses. How are you going to prove that you were there? Your word of mouth, sorry, your your word, I mean, it does count for something, but it can be a he said, she said situation. For sure, especially if you wait, right? Why did you exactly. wait? Exactly. Why did you yeah, wait? Because exactly. it's not that bad. You, yeah. you got it. Exactly. Yeah. Now, luckily, she actually has a receipt from that day for when she paid the gas because this happened after she, she had paid. So it's not going to be an issue. But whenever you're involved in a slip and fall situation, whether it's in, uh, whether it's indoors or outdoors, make sure that you go to the proper party. So if it's in a store, ask for the manager. If it's if it's in a mall, uh, ask for the management company. You know, mm-hmm. go to guest services. Make sure that you make a report. Make sure that it's documented. This is what happened. This is the cause of what uh, made you fall. These are the injuries or the pains that you're feeling right now. You want to make sure that there is a contemporaneous record. So the advice they gave her was correct and incorrect. It's correct in that she has two years to start a claim. From a legal standpoint. From a legal standpoint, but yeah. it's incorrect in that they told her, don't bother. You know, it's not necessary for you to, to uh, notify them or to make an incident report. Uh, nonsense. Absolutely nonsense. Make sure that if this happens, listen, unless you're incapacitated, unless, you know, the ambulance is coming there and, and you know, taking you because you split your head open, God forbid, right. uh, then, of course, you can't do it. But if that doesn't happen, make sure that you notify someone. If not that day, then the next day. There has to be a contemporaneous record. It's only going to help you down the road. It's possible that advice like that keeps them from having to pay out a lot. hundred percent. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And there yeah. was no reason for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, all she ended, ended up doing is she just called them and made the report. But she could have done that in person that day. I, 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 to be honest with you, I have no idea why they told her to do that. 416-216-5910, help at the insurance lawyer.ca. Let's talk about a little long-term disability because that stuff is a, a major player as far as uh, things happening at your office. So how long does someone have to start a claim for compensation from their long, no, I'm talking long-term, long-term disability insurer? after they've been cut off or denied. Okay, so generally speaking, it's two years. So two years is that magic number that we keep hearing uh, generally uh, when we're speaking about starting claims for compensation in Ontario. The question becomes, is it two years from the date of the denial, two years from the date of the denial of the appeal, two years from the date of the denial of the second appeal? Look, there is mixed case law. There is mixed information about that. I tell people that if you are cut off or denied long-term disability, you give me a call now because we need to deal with this now. The longer you wait, the more chance you're taking that uh, not, not only your claim is just going to languish, but perhaps you're going to forget about it and you're going to miss that date. Remember, John, a few uh, shows back, we discussed how some lawyers start claims at the last day of the two-year you know, two yeah. uh, limitation period and sometimes they even miss it uh, because something happened in the office, something got missed, overlooked. Don't wait that long. Two years generally from the date of the denial uh, is when you know you're, you're able to start the claim you can potentially argue that it's two de- two years from the date of the uh, the denial of the appeal right. but wh- why go there why go there if you're denied long-term disability do something about it now don't wait you are you know you always talk about you know give you a call and you give give somebody some quick advice whether they should proceed or not but do they have to have a lawyer to start a claim no they don't just like you don't have to have uh, a mechanic take a look at your car listen if you have expertise right. in the area if you're a doctor and you can diagnose yourself and treat yourself sure you know, you don't need somebody else who deals with that area uh, to, to, to help you. 
But, you know, why not have someone who that's all they do help you? I mean, why, at the very least, why not talk to them and get information? And that's the thing. That's, that's one of the things that I keep advocating on this show. Oftentimes, uh, I, I speak with people. In fact, the majority of my day is me speaking with people on the phone uh, or via email or in person uh, and just consulting them, telling them, look, these are your options. You have a case. You don't have a case. If you have a case, here are the options. Here are the three ways you can go about this. Right. Here's my recommendation. Here's what you can do. Here's what you cannot do. And then, of course, there are follow-up questions. So, so from my standpoint, I'm thinking to myself, okay, why not get this information? Why not be able to intelligently make a decision that will affect you, your family, for the rest of your life? Uh, and, 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 and so, you know, the answer is no. You don't need to have a lawyer, particularly if you have expertise in the area. But is that really good? I mean, is that wise? Is, is, is it wise to simply go on Google and try and find information yourself, hoping that you're not being misled, hoping that you're not buying into any myths. Yeah. It, it's, that's, that's the wrong approach in my view. And, and uh, you know, frankly, I've, I've talked to enough people who have done that only to realize later that they made some mistakes. Sometimes we can rectify those mistakes. Sometimes we can't. So just get it right uh, you know, from the beginning. Leave it up to uh, University of Wikipedia. It's never yeah. good, right? <laughs> exactly. Never good. We'll take exactly. A, a quick break. Lots to talk about as far as long-term disability, and we'll come back right away with one of your emails. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca and 416-216-5910 to get a hold of Savannah directly. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. Back with more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Savannah's number is 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. For email, which is where we're going to go. Got one here, uh, Savannah from uh, from Mary from Morar says, I've been on long-term, uh, there you go, we're just talking about long-term disability this hour as well. She's been on long-term disability for almost two years and have a good relationship with my adjuster, but she just called me this week and said that they will be cutting me off because I don't meet the new total disability definition. She said that they cut off, cut off almost everyone after the two-year point and then I should be thinking about getting back to work. I was shocked. Is this common? What do I do? Wow. Okay. Well, Mary, I can tell you that it's definitely common that long-term disability insurance companies cut people off as they approach the two-year period. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Mm -hmm. But for her to tell you that uh, they cut almost everyone off at the two-year point, that's something that many of us disability lawyers know about uh, or suspect. But for her to tell you that, holy cow, I'll tell you this, if you had this recorded, I mean, that's that's one hell of a basis for a punitive damages claim against the insurance company. Because think about what she's saying to you. She's saying to you that as a matter of course, arbitrarily, they cut almost everyone off at that time. Uh, that's that's not good. That's bad. That just means that they're not looking at the medical records. They're not actually evaluating the cases on a case by case basis. So uh, l- let me let me explain a little bit about this new total d- uh, disability definition. And we've talked about that before. And there's a lot of confusion out there. Generally speaking, with long term disability, once you get on it within the first two years. Mm-hmm of being eligible for long-term disability, you have to show that you cannot do uh, substantial portions or parts of your own occupation. So you can't do your job, John, Right. okay? Uh, It doesn't mean you can hold yourself to the studio. It just means that you can't do most of the things that would uh, comprise your own occupation. So it's called the own occupation test. Beyond the two-year mark, that's where usually people get cut off. Yep. And that's because the test becomes a bit wider. It's broader. Uh, what what the test is, is that uh, can you do uh, this substantially uh, uh, another occupation, any other occupation 
for which we are suited for by training, education, or experience. Okay. Uh, so uh, what does that mean? It doesn't mean, uh, you know, can you do, if, if you're a doctor, can you go and work at Tim Hortons? That's not what they're asking. They're asking if you're a doctor, okay, you can't operate if you're a surgeon, but can you go and teach Or can surgery? you advise or whatever? Can you advise, right? exactly, yeah. can you do that? So, so if, if the initial definition for the first two years is can you do your own occupation, the broader definition beyond the two years is can you do any occupation for which you are suited for by training, education, or experience. And so, Mary, what she's telling you here is that for whatever reason, and we're going to have to talk about this off air and get more specifics, they believe that uh, even though you weren't able to do your own job, you can do another job for which you are trained for or have experience in or or went to school for. Uh, But again, the way that this adjuster explained that to you and told you that they cut almost everyone off, leads me to believe that it was an arbitrary decision. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm wondering if they sent you off to a doctor to be examined and then they got a, a report that says that you can do X, Y you know, jobs. Maybe they sent you to a vocational assessor who assessed you and said, listen, there's 10 other jobs that you can do uh, for which you're trained for or have experience with or, or are educated uh, for. So again, one of those things where we can take a look at, I can tell you that in my experience, the majority of people that come to me, John, uh, because they've been cut off at the two-year mark or just approaching the two-year mark, when they've been told that you know you don't qualify under the mm-hmm. expanded definition of total disability, that's been absolutely bogus, and we've been able to resolve these cases fairly uh, uh, quickly and fairly easily, uh, just simply by getting the proper reports from the various doctors. Uh, on occasion, I've had to send them to some of my experts you know, to really make sure that we have a comprehensive picture. Uh, but the point is we've been able to resolve these cases uh, for, for you know, settlements that compensated them for retroactive pay, what they were owed since they were cut off, right. as well as for uh, future pay uh, that the insurance company would owe them because they cannot go back to work. I'm not waving the flag for insurance companies by any stretch, but that doesn't seem like an unreasonable request after two years to say, okay, let's, let's widen our focus and see what you can do. Maybe we can get you back to work. No, no, it's not unreasonable. And, and that's fine. I mean, at the end of the day, long-term disability disputes are, are contractual. I mean, they're the contractual right. issues. It comes down to what the contract says, the contract being the policy. And if the policy contains uh, this change of definition, a broader definition, and you have to meet that definition, I have no problem with gotcha. it. What I have a problem with is when the insurance company arbitrarily says, we don't feel that you now uh, uh, qualify under this new definition, but I don't have anything to back it up. And, 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 you know, sometimes it takes just a few phone calls or a request for, for more documentation uh, to, to, to see whether or not this person actually meets the new definition, but they don't take that step. Or sometimes, like I said, like we spoke about uh, with the earlier case about surveillance, they'll have some surveillance done, mm-hmm. and they'll see something that doesn't make sense to them, but they'll jump the gun. They won't uh, engage the insured, the person who's on disability, and ask him or her to explain right. what they've seen. And, and that, that's what bothers me because... You know, what, what, what really frustrates me is that when I see these individuals who are struggling to get better, whether it's mentally or, or physically or both, and here they're battling with this insurance company who's supposed to be on their side, who's supposed to be helping them get better. And John, a lot of people, they're following doctor's advice. They're doing what they can to try and get back on their feet. For the most part, people are not trying to screw the system. They're not. That's, that's not their intent. Uh, in fact, a lot of people you know, feel ashamed that right. they're on disability, just like a lot of people feel ashamed that they're on EI. Yeah, they it doesn't matter. They want to get back to work. Exactly. So here you have this huge insurer, this Goliath, uh, that is now uh, uh, throwing you, uh, you know, to the wolves, and you think to yourself, okay, how am I going to make my next uh, mortgage payment? 
Uh, how, how am I going to feed my kids? What am I going to do? And that's when we get involved. That's when we tell them, listen, contact us. Let us deal with it. You won't have to deal with this adjuster anymore, with this insurance company anymore. We will take care of things. And it's just that simple. Once, you, once you've been contacted, once you make the contact with the insurance company, I will no longer get phone calls. You will not get phone they calls. They cannot phone me. No, they're not allowed. In fact, wow. it, it, they, and they know this. They know. I, I mean, I've, I've seen situations where, and I, I frankly don't really understand how the lawyers allow that to happen, where the lawyer is involved, and yet the adjuster continues to deal with the individual directly. That should not happen. It should go through the lawyer, through the lawyer's office. It minimizes stress for the individual, for the family, uh, and it really allows also the lawyer to have full control of you the bet. case so they can advance the case in the best way possible. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. More of the Insurance and Injury Law Show coming up. Talk Radio, AM 640. And back at with more of the insurance and injury law show. Savant's number is easy, 416-216-5910, and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to an email here in a, a few minutes from help at theinsurance.ca. That is the address you want to send one over for the remainder of the show. Talking about long-term disability loan, you mentioned you know phone calls coming through, and they'll give you some quick advice over the phone and kind of point people in the, uh, the right direction. Many people naturally weary about lawyers and what it costs to talk to them. Should they be concerned? So this is, again, something that uh, we hear quite often, and, and naturally so. I mean, lawyers have a reputation of uh, nickeling and diming you for absolutely everything. Uh, and, and, you know, I can't speak for other practice areas. I can't speak for other lawyers. I can tell you that the way we operate at the office uh, is, is in a way that I think is fair, which, which is this. We will speak on the phone for as long as necessary, for as long as it's necessary for me to be able to give you at least a preliminary opinion based on the facts you are giving me or the documents that I've reviewed. It's going to cost you nothing absolutely nothing. And if at the end of the day you decide that you don't want to proceed, even though I've told you you have a case, God bless you. It's your thing. If you want to go to a different lawyer, God bless you. Go ahead. It doesn't It doesn't affect me. I mean, listen, we're busy enough at the firm. Mm-hmm. We really are. We keep adding lawyers. We keep adding infrastructure. But you know, if I can help, if my team can help, we will. It costs you absolutely nothing to talk to us. Yeah, if we set up a meeting, we talk face-to-face, it, it's 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 just we're there to give you the information that you need to make a decision. And and, and frankly, John, that's one of the reasons we've been able to grow as we have uh, in, in Toronto, the busiest market in the country, because we take a different approach. We're not going to tell you that it's going to cost you X amount of dollars to meet with us. It, it's, it's you know, you're not going to have to pay in advance uh, for this legal advice that you may or may not like. No. You're going to give us a call. I'm going to have a quick chat with you, or one of my associates will have a quick chat with you. My team is going to talk to you. Uh, we're going to assess your case on its merits, and we're going to tell you. And, and John, a lot of people, when they call us, after I speak with them for 10 minutes, half an hour, an hour, sometimes more than that, I tell them, listen, I think that you have an uphill battle. I don't know if you want to proceed with this. Uh, you know, you have to be weary of this, of that. Mm-hmm. So it's not always roses. Having said that, if I'm telling you you have a case, I'm pretty sure that uh, you have a case. Right. I mean, I'm not just telling you you have a case for no reason, but it's going to cost you nothing to know. 416-216-5910 is that number. So how long does a, a, you know, a case or at least a claim for long-term disability start and what are the steps? Well, so so the steps themselves are, uh, there, there are three steps. Number one is obviously there is an initial call or a meeting. I mean, we have to make contact somehow. Uh, and, and after we meet or after we speak on the phone and I can evaluate the case, then we have to get the medical documentation. And a lot of people 
especially those on disability, long-term disability, uh, but even those people who are uh, injured as a result of a car accident, slip and fall, they will have pertinent medical documents. They'll have a report from a specialist. They'll have an MRI report. Mm -hmm. They'll have those kinds of things. And so I'm going to ask them to email those to me or fax those to me so I can evaluate them. Once we have that, once we're confident we have that uh, case, we start the claim. We start the process ASAP. We don't sit on it. Uh, And again, that's very important because as you can imagine, and a lot of the listeners would know, uh, these things take time to resolve. Uh, They're not going to take five years. They're not going to take 10 years. I know that there are horror stories out there about these kinds of claims dragging on and on and on. Listen, I can't guarantee you when your case will resolve, but I can guarantee you it's going to resolve much quicker than it does in many other law offices. And the reason is very simple, because we have a certain way of doing things. Uh, when we start a disability claim, uh, I've been able to resolve these kinds of claims uh, in, in in a matter of several months. At, wow. m- at most, it would have taken me, let's say, uh, a couple of years to resolve these things. But those are actually, if you believe it or not, on disability cases, that that's actually uh, uh, a lot of time. I mean, that's, that's, that's more than the norm. Uh, but it does take time. Because keep in mind, not everything is up to us. We may have to request documentation from various specialists. We'll have to coordinate with the insurance companies certain dates. But we're going to get the case resolved. It's not like you're going to be involved every step of the way. We're doing a lot of the uh, the work in the background. Uh, my team is working on it. So, so again, not difficult at all. Right. Three steps, initial call or a meeting, getting those medical documents so we can see what we're dealing with, and starting the claim. That whole process, the three steps, that happens within within a matter of weeks. And then you're rocking and rolling from there, Absolutely, exactly. So when someone's wrongly denied or cut off long-term disability, is there any downside for them starting a claim against the insurer? The only downside is if if they're lying. I mean, if a person's telling me that, uh, you know, they're crying on the phone, they're saying they can't work and they've been denied disability and their kids are starving, then I find out that they have three jobs on the side. That's a problem. And believe it or not, John, despite my uh, amazing radar and the fact that I used to do defense work mm-hmm. and I can usually filter out uh, those kinds of people, rat. I can spot them a mile away. But you know what? Sometimes, sometimes I miss uh, these kinds of things. People, Some people are extremely good actors. Uh, and actresses. And uh, it has happened in the past that, uh, you know, I found out that people didn't tell me the truth. And of course, the claim went south. But I can tell you that so long as you are telling me the truth, uh, and I'm telling you, you have a case, you have a case. That's not even a question about that. I can assess these cases. Uh, It's not brain surgery. It really isn't. Just takes experience, uh, knowledge. Uh, Having been on both sides, working for insurers and against them really helps. Because, you know, being able to put both hats on uh, really gives you a global perspective. Uh, so, so really, n- n- not, not difficult at all. But, you know, the recourse is to start a claim. Uh, that's, the, um, that's the way to put a gun to the insurer's uh, head, mm-hmm. so to speak, uh, and, and to make them pay, really, uh, to compensate you for either your injury or your disability. And the brain surgery might increase your claim. You mentioned it, right? <laughs> That's right. We talked about that before. Exactly. We'll take a uh, quick uh, quick break here. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll bounce back after the break with an email right away in the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Talk radio, AM 640. And back with more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Savannah's number is 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Promised an email when we got back from that email address. Lisa from Oshawa here sends this email. says, my husband is 50 and used to work as a mechanic until three years ago. When his back gave out, he is on long-term disability. He's on heavy pain medications and can hardly sit and stand, but the insurance company has recently said that they uh, think he should be able to do something, so they've arranged him to see a doctor. A, does he have to go to that assessment, and should we be worried? 
Okay, well, Lisa, this is not uncommon. Uh, insurance companies, particularly in disability cases, oftentimes ask you, um, the disabled individual, to see one of their doctors at some point. Uh, they just want to get an opinion from somebody, uh, uh, I guess they call somebody who's independent. Uh, lawyers on my side of the aisle will, will not say that this doctor is independent for a very simple reason. That doctor gets paid by the insurance company. Right. And, and oftentimes these doctors are, are one-sided. Oftentimes they're employed by insurance companies routinely. And, and you know, to be fair, to be fair, a lot of lawyers uh, who uh, represent individuals who are disabled will often use doctors who are uh, one-sided towards the plaintiff, right? So, I mean, it goes both ways, which is why when, whenever I utilize a certain doctor or an expert, I try to use one that is completely uh, uh, neutral, somebody who uh, has worked both for the, for the insurers as well as for plaintiffs, somebody who, you know, calls it as he or she sees it. And, and that provides credibility to the report. So, so, Lisa, to answer your question, your husband uh, will likely need to go uh, to that assessment. A report will get generated. But here's the thing. Uh, uh, if if he's been on disability for three years, and my understanding is that uh, you know he hurt his back three years ago, so let's assume he's been uh, on disability for over two years, mm-hmm. for almost three years, it likely means that he met that expanded definition of right. total disability, meaning he cannot do any job for which he's suited for by training, experience, uh, or, or education. And, and if that's the case, for them to send him to one of their doctors now, it seems kind of strange to me. I wonder what instigated that. So something doesn't jive for me, but I can tell you that oftentimes when a person is told to go to an assessment uh, because the insurance company wants to evaluate whether that person can go back to work, Oftentimes, that's a setup uh, in the event that the report says the person should be able to try and go back to work uh, to, for the insurance company to cut that person off. So in that kind of a situation, when you are told, listen, go to this doctor that we're arranging this assessment uh, uh, f- for you with, that's, that's, a, that's a warning sign. That's a war- it doesn't mean you have to, uh, you have to panic, uh, but I would tell you, give me a call so I can at least prepare you so that you know how to present yourself. I'm not going to tell you to lie. Clearly, you have to tell the truth. Make sure you follow the doctor's directions, but you have to understand that this doctor uh, is, is working on behalf of the insurance company, and you have to understand what the consequences are of that assessment and a potential report that comes from that doctor. 416-216-5910 is that number that Savannah just mentioned. Talk about this as well. Damages and personal injury claim. Future care. You often make reference to future care uh, on the show. What exactly is it? Future care is, uh, is a head of damage under the personal injury claim categories uh, that deals with any care you may need in terms of rehabilitation in the future. So let's say that uh, you broke your leg. Let's say you fractured your spine. Let's just say that you have chronic pain because of a car accident that happened two years ago. And, and you know, you've been told that you need continuous uh, rehab. You need uh, uh, massage, chiropractic, going all anywhere. that kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that, that cost has to be covered by someone. And oftentimes in a car accident situation, it's going to be covered to an extent by your own insurance company. Of course, we know that th- those, uh, th- that coverage is very limited uh, given the minor injury guidelines. And now there's new legislation that potentially could get introduced uh, uh, very soon. The point is that if you need care like that for the future, that's called future care. And oftentimes, uh, lawyers who advance claims like myself don't really appreciate the full extent of that care that the person is going to need. And that can rack up. I mean, if you've ever gone to a massage therapist or a chiropractor, I mean, just imagine being, you know, having to do that for the next, I don't know how many years. Weekly, right? Weekly, exactly. Yeah. Weekly or even once a month. I mean, yeah. someone's going to have to pay for that. And even if you have extended health benefits, those are limited. Usually they'll cover three, 500 bucks a year uh, for a particular uh, treatment like massage. 
what, what happens if you need something like that uh, on an ongoing basis? So again, future care is extremely, extremely important. It has to be accounted for whenever you're dealing with more significant injuries. And by significant injuries, it doesn't necessarily mean uh, you know, a, a skull fracture or, or a spine fracture or something like that. It just means uh, something that's chronic, a, 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 um, an injury that results uh, in, in ongoing issues that require some kind of a rehabilitative mm-hmm. uh, uh, function. So in a car accident case for that extended care, say over years, is it now flip over to the other person, the, the at-fault driver's uh, insurance to pay for that? And if it's a slip and fall, say in a mall and you're under the same situation, who pays for it? Yeah, very good question, exactly. Uh, in a situation of a car accident, oftentimes your insurance company, as we discussed, will pay for a certain amount. Uh, but to the extent that there is a shortfall, specifically if we have experts that are projecting into the future that you're going to need right. X amount of dollars, let's say $500,000 worth of future treatments, or you know $10,000 for a chronic pain program and your own insurance company won't cover that, yes, you're going to be asking the at-full driver's insurance company uh, to, to, uh, to pay for that. And that's going to form part of the discussions when it comes down to settling your case. Very, very important for lawyers to be mindful of that and for people to be able to understand that that when they're settling a case, remember we talked about settlement before, we'll yep. talk about it uh, more in the future. Uh, very, very important that we account for the potential future care you may need. And again, keep in mind, OHIP will provide for certain types of care that, of course, you know, we have a great system in terms of being able to go to the doctor, not paying for yep. visits, uh, for ultrasound, etc. cetera. Uh, but what happens if you do need that rehab, uh, the stuff that uh, OHIP doesn't necessarily cover? Someone has to cover it, and it could get very, very expensive. Injury calculator dot. CA. Give me some details on this. Okay, so now we're flipping to a different head of damage or, or yeah. a different category uh, of, of damages. So that's a unique tool that we had created uh, a while back. It's been tremendously popular. It's very unique. Uh, again, injurycalculator.ca. You go onto it, and uh, with the click of a button, and we can go through a, a, an example, yep. by inputting a little bit of information, and again, keep in mind, it's anonymous. You're not putting your name or your number or anything. Uh, you, you're just telling the calculator what kind of injury you have. Uh, do you have chronic pain? You know, did you have surgery? Those kinds of, of pieces of information. You could get uh, an idea of what you could get in terms of compensation, dollar value for your pain and suffering. Okay. Now, this is pain and suffering only, yeah. right? It's not future care. It's not any uh, uh, money for housekeeping help. It's not for income loss. It's just for pain and suffering. Which can often be a small part, even though it looks big. It can be, exactly. Or it can be very large as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, In fact, I got one this morning that was assessed over $125,000 just for the pain and suffering component. And I can tell you, if that's how much it was for pain and suffering, potentially this claim is worth a lot more than that because of the other components. But if you want, John, we can actually go through an example so the listeners can uh, can understand exactly yeah, got how to go for it. Yep. All right, so we're going to click on Get Started Now. So again, InjuryCalculator.ca. Very simple to use. We're going to put uh, the accident date as November 1st of last year. Accident location, let's put New Market. How old are you? We're going to put 35. Cause of your injury, car accident. Who was at fault? Someone else. Did the injury affect your income? Let's say yes. Mm-hmm. And let's say that uh, as a result, I'm working fewer hours uh, and uh, now it's going to ask me the uh, type of injury uh, that I had or what part of my body was injured. Neck, shoulder, leg. Uh, do I have paralysis? Yeah, is leg is good. Leg, all right. Sure. So we're going to click on leg. Now it's asking me, is it uh, the toes, the whole leg, the tibia, the fibula, the thigh, the knee, the ankle, the foot? Sounds like I'm a KFC. I'm getting yeah. hungry. Uh, <laughs> go for a knee. John, yeah. John, John, John. Okay, <laughs> the knee. 
So I'm clicking on the knee. Now it's asking me, did you sprain or strain it? Did you tear a ligament? It's a torn ligament. Yeah. Torn ligament. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm That's very painful. Yeah, you are. Yeah. Pressing continue. And here's what it says. It okay. says, according to our survey of Canadian cases, you may be entitled to $35,000 to $65,000 for your pain and suffering. Now and there's again, a window, right? There is a window. There is a range because it depends on how this injury has affected you. Okay. The same injuries can affect people differently depending sure. on age, depending on the type of job they have, how strenuous it Severity, is. Severity. Yep. Exactly. And, yep. and the cases recognize that. Cool. Yep. We'll take a short break at tomorrow of the show here as we uh, talk a little more about damages and future care. The number is 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Talk radio, AM 640. And back we go. The Insurance and Injury Law Show here for our uh, last few minutes. The number 416-216-5910. You can keep that number with you outside of show hours to get a hold of Savannah anytime or help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll uh, get back into some future care discussion here. Uh, you mentioned, you know, if, uh, if you're injured, you're, you're taking um, some physio, possibly some massage. What if it's someone inside your own home, a family member who's got to cut your grass or help you get dressed or do other things around the house? Can you, uh, can you take that into account? Yes, you can. And again, one of those things where when I was doing defense work and working for insurance companies, I saw a lot of claims coming across my desk and I would negotiate with the plaintiff lawyers and oftentimes they wouldn't be advancing these claims or would not be advancing them to the best of of their abilities or to the maximum. And what does that mean? Let's say that you are injured and your spouse or your kid, someone in your family is helping you out in a way they weren't helping out before. Now, of course, you can say, and I would say certainly, uh, you know, given my family history and background, I'm going to be expecting that. If something happens to me, I expect my wife to help me just like I would do uh, for her. Uh, but, but, you know, what happens in terms of compensation? What happens if she's losing money at work because she has right. to stay at home? That can all be taken into account and should be taken into account. Now, if you, if the listeners go out there, I mean, d- d- don't just trust what I'm saying. Go, go to Google and type in Family Law Act. That's the legislation, Family Law Act. Okay. In Ontario, Section 61, if you click on that, you're going to see that it deals with what happens in a situation where a family member is injured. Mm-hmm. And you'll have different categories there of the kind of compensation that the family members can get. They can get uh, what is most often referred to as loss of care, guidance, and companionship. What does that mean? It means that if I am injured uh, and, and this injury affects my relationship with my wife, she could potentially be entitled to damages, to pain and suffering for the wow. fact that she doesn't have the same husband. But even more importantly, John, and I say more importantly because the bulk of the money for this kind of a claim comes from the other heads of damage under those sections, under the subsections of Section 61, Family Law Act. And, and that means that uh, if she's doing certain things for me, she's helping me, she's uh, uh, doing things around the home that otherwise she would not have done, th- taking care of me, she actually can get compensated. We can, we can get experts to calculate the value of the time that she's putting in, huh. uh, in, in helping me as a result of this injury that someone else caused. And so we would be advancing her claim alongside my claim, the injured individual. Could be substantial. Could eh? be substantial yeah. as against the insurance company of the person who caused the accident. Wow. Exactly. So yes, absolutely. These kinds of uh, services can't be accounted for. They should be accounted for. And a lot of times lawyers miss out on these types of claims uh, because they either just don't think about it or they minimize the impact or they don't understand necessarily the full impact that the injury has on, on other family members. 416-216-5910, help at the insurance lawyer.ca. How about this? You uh, you know, you get a substantial amount of money for future care. You, you, you know, you've worked it out. It looks like a big chunk of change, but you find out years later that uh, you need a little more. It's not enough. Can you reopen the case? Can you get more? No. 
Right. No, and we talked about that before. I know it's uh, one single answer. I wish I had uh, a, a different answer for you. No, the answer is no, and I do have people. Uh, we spoke about that the last show as well uh, when we talked about settlements. People who settle their cases, money ran out, and now they don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Our, our law loves predictability, and for a good reason, right? I mean, whether you're an individual or a company, uh, you want certainty with the law. If you are uh, uh, shaking hands with the other party and saying, look, listen, we, we, we have uh, a settlement, we have an agreement, you don't want that party to be able to go back two years later and say, oh, wait a second, it just wasn't enough money. No. If you settled your case and you accounted for X amount for future care or for any head of damage for that, for that matter, you know, uh, $50,000 for your pain and suffering when really uh, it's worth a lot more, that's your fault. Even if you had a bad lawyer, mm-hmm. maybe you can go after that lawyer or after that paralegal. Again, I'm not advocating that. Of course. But maybe you can go after them for uh, settling your case for much less than it should have been settled. Okay, It's called an improvident settlement. You cannot reopen the cases against the other party. And oftentimes people will say, well, I, it was under duress. Listen, duress is a legal term and it's a very rare exception. And to utilize that in the context of reopening a case after it's been settled, it's extremely rare. So don't even try and go there, especially if you have had legal representation at the time the settlement was reached. Right. So the answer is an unequivocal no. And the lesson is you make sure that you understand the settlement that you are entering into and you make sure you trust the person who's representing you because once you shake hands once your signature is on that piece of paper and you're you done, get the son. money, you're done. Yeah. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to an email from Cindy from Markham. Says, I was in a car accident about a year ago and signed up with a law firm, but I haven't heard anything since I first spoke with him. I left a few messages and eventually uh, someone returned to my call and said that they're, quote, working on my case. I have no idea what that means. Should, uh, should something be happening? Oh, boy. Uh, John, what, what does working on my case mean? I have no idea. Uh, me neither. I have absolutely no clue. Xbox, I don't know what that Yeah, if somebody is. says that you, I'm, if, if somebody's calling me and I'm telling them I'm working on their case, what I'm actually saying is that I'm playing solitaire on the computer. Okay, <laughs> I, I have no idea what that means. At the very least, have the decency to tell the person, here's what's happened. Here's what I've done we so far. We started the claim. We have a date for this. We have a date for that. We're going to send you to this place. We need this document. We're asking for this document. No such thing as we are working on your case just to brush you off, okay? It, it, that means absolutely nothing. And if you're getting that, you make sure you dig, uh, you, you, you make sure you ask questions, dig deeper. Uh, because, because, you know, at the end of the day, it's your case. And if they're not doing anything with your case, you're not going to see anything uh, until God knows how many years down the road. So, so you know, make sure, make sure that, uh, that your case is progressing uh, as it should. Now, uh, Cindy, you said that the accident happened about a year ago. Uh, you should have received some accident benefits, uh, whether it's in the form of treatments that are paid by your insurance company. Mm-hmm. If you're not working, you should be getting income replacement benefits. So these things should have already happened. Yep. They would have happened very quickly. quickly. Uh, depending on the severity of your case, I probably would have recommended to start a claim very quickly after the accident against the at-fault driver. Gotcha. Okay, very, very important. Again, these are the kinds of things, Cindy, that they should be telling you that they either have been doing or are planning to do. And if they haven't done them, when are they planning to do those things? 
don't just take the lawyer and the lawyer's office word uh, that they're working on it. You need to understand what it is that they're doing. It's really not that difficult. It's like going to a doctor and asking, well, what are you doing about you know, scheduling my next ultrasound? I'm working well, on it. Yeah, I'm working on it. What does that mean? <laughs> okay, what, it, what potentially it means is I'm going to be calling you know, the ultrasound clinic tomorrow or right. you know, we've scheduled it. We're just confirming the date. Right. It, that's what it means. So make sure you, 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 you ask questions. Make sure you know more about your case and what's happening with it. That'll do it for another week. The number in the meantime is 416-216-5910 to get a hold of Savannah or help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And next time you're online, check out injurycalculator.ca as well. This has been the Insurance and Injury Law Show Talk Radio, AM 640.